Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to the Business Creators Radio Show, where we help you win at the game of business and marketing. My name is Adam Homie. I'm your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to invest in yourself by coming and spending time with us today. As the name says, our listeners are business creators. We have your entrepreneurs, we have your small business owners, we have your local business owners, we have marketing and business coaches, we have the folks who help others build their businesses, and on the other side of that coin, we have the do-it-yourselfers who like to have your own hands on the levers as you market and grow your business. If you are one or more of the above, please take a moment, explore episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com and see how our guest experts help you win at the game of business and marketing. Also, check us out on iTunes. Just do a search for Business Creators Radio Show. Every five-star rating is greatly appreciated. Helps us help more business creators just like you. We have well over 100 episodes, and fresh content is added every single week. Now, this time, this week, I've got news for you. No one cares what you want to sell them, and that's a good thing. I love this topic, and... When Brianne Dick came to us and wanted to share this with us, I blew over the barricades and rushed her into the Business Creators Radio Show and got her on the air for you because this is something I can really latch on to. I love these contrarian messages. I love these new ways of looking at things. And I think you're going to love the reasons why no one cares what you want to sell them. That should be liberating. That should be relieving. And I'm going to show you why. But first, let me tell you a little bit about Brianne. She helps micro-businesses grow their revenues and their impact by blending adult learning, customer experience, and business strategy. Her results-driven strategies help thought leaders and influencers like, and I do apologize in advance if I screw up any pronunciations, um, Chris Gillibo, Natalie Sison, and Tara Gentile. Maximize referrals, retention, and repeat buyers by creating programs and products that customers can't stop talking about. So, Brianne, welcome aboard. Thank you so much. This is going to be a ton of fun, and I'm going to reveal the reasons why in just a moment. But before we do that, what I want to do is I want to take a step back. Some of our listeners may not have had an opportunity to really get to know you yet, so let's give them a chance. Tell us a little bit about what brought you to where you are today. Absolutely. So uh, it's it, this is something that we'll talk about, you know, in a, in a little bit. But right. uh, that the combination of things that that you listed off in that bio, adult learning, customer experience, business strategy, that's quite a diverse background. And so the best way to explain all of that is to go back and tell you where I came from. So. I started my, my first real day job, if you will, was actually working in post-secondary. And I, uh, you know, this was eight, 10 years ago, something like that. So this is when the internet was just really starting to pick up steam in education. Uh, bandwidth was starting to become to a point where you could actually do video online and people could actually access it. Uh, smartphones, the, the iPhone was just, you know, starting to pick up steam and people were starting to be able to carry the internet in their pocket. So this is the context into which I started working in higher education and I was working as a curriculum developer. So, you know, let's build course websites. Let's 
design uh, activities or simulations or games or quizzes that students can do online. And in particular, I was working at a technical college. So I was working on developing curriculum for electricians or plumbers or chefs or accountants, all of these really skill-oriented uh, uh, degrees or diplomas or, or programs. And I did that for about five years and, and learned a lot in the process. I started just kind of being a technical person, but spent five years really appreciating what it takes to teach someone a skill in a way that they can learn it. Five years go on, I've moved up in the organization, end up getting into a situation where I decide, I, you know, I'm, I'm tired of this corporate situation, I'm tired of <laughs> bureaucracy and, and all of that, I'm going to try and see what happens if I go on my own. And at the time, I had been continuing to, you know, do web development, that kind of thing on the side. And I figured, well, maybe if I just try building websites, then we'll see what happens. Jumped into the freelance world. Not having really done much, you know, real business development work or business strategy work, I didn't really know what that meant or looked like. So I started taking online courses, which is something that I think more and more people are doing to, you know, grow their business, develop, you know, grow their business, grow their, their business chops, that kind of thing. So I was no exception. I started taking some of these, you know, online courses and just trying to learn from as many people as I could about what it takes to really be a successful entrepreneur. Of course. And uh, <laughs> some of the courses were, were pretty good. Um, most of them weren't. Most of them, I took them and, and I was really disappointed because I could see that there was potential there, but I wasn't able to gain the full benefit of the program because it wasn't being delivered in a way that really worked. So I remember actually really clearly, I happened to be on vacation, but I had been waiting. I knew that this one blogger that I followed was releasing a course and I was really excited about it. So I was on vacation, but I was at my laptop, it becomes available in a beta form. I sign up and I, you know, I get the first module delivered to me right away. I go through the first module, I'm so excited. And then I turned the last virtual page and I literally sat there and I kind of slumped and I said to myself, that's it. And I was crushed. And in that moment, I'm not the type of person that usually reaches out. And, you know, I'm, I, I am a traditional introvert in that I like deep one-on-one -on -one connections. I don't yes. go out and meet people and all that kind of thing. Um, but whatever came over me, I realized that in that moment, I had two choices. The first is I was so disappointed, I could do something I've never done before, which would be to email and ask for a refund. The second option was I could email and say, this is a beta, what kind of feedback are you looking for? Because I happen to have some ideas for how I could help you make it better. Whatever possessed me, I took the second option. And that was just the start of a pivot for me where I stopped working on the technical side of, you know, building websites and, and that sort of thing. And I started focusing on how can we use how people learn as a basis and a foundation and a jumping off point for building our businesses. And so for the last about 18 months to two years, that's when my focus basically exclusively is on working, especially with influencers, so people who are authors or speakers or coaches or who want to be any of those things uh, to help them translate their message, not just in a way that gets understood, but that gets people taking action and learning and seeing results. That's fantastic. Uh, I, 
think that's really exciting. I, I think there are a lot of people who listen to our show that have had a similar journey. I know that I had my moments where I decided I just finally had enough of this this corporate stuff. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there, there was a time when I was uh, both holding down a full-time job and also growing my business. And uh, for about three or four months there, it kind of was going back and forth. It was seesawing. I was trying to decide which way am I really going to go here? Am I going to break out on my own and uh, and and start my own business full time, or am I going to get on the corporate hustle? And then uh, uh, one day, I'm not going to mention November nineteenth, two thousand four by name, <laughs> but uh, I learned just how pathetic certain people who somehow manage to get the title senior director in their job title can be. And I'm thinking, if this is what I have to work up to, then I don't want it. And yeah. I made my plan. I got the hell out. So um, what I love about you and what I love about this topic that we're doing here is, you know, this is going to be in some ways challenging the status quo, looking at things differently, using different language. Uh, and that is why I'm so excited about what we have to do here. But there is one more thing, Brianne. And... Our listeners know what it is, and they can hear the drum roll in the background. <laughs> Here on the Business Creators Radio Show, we provide the tools, techniques, and strategies to help entrepreneurs quickly grow their businesses. A lot of our listeners tell me they have everything they need to implement anything that anybody says they need to do, except for time and money. This is a question we ask every expert who appears on our show, and what I like is not only the variety of different answers, but also the variety of different ways the question gets interpreted. So how do time and money impact what we're going to discuss today? It's a good question because, I mean, time and money are the currencies by which our, build, our, our businesses are built, right? Right. I mean, your, your business model is a function of, you know, how much money are you making, doing what, for what people, and how much time is it going to take you? That's, that's, you know, added materials and you have the equation for profitability, right? right. Um, so for me, and how this applies to what we're going to talk to, talk about is, uh, I, I have uh, something that I like to call the three R's of business. So just like in school, we had the three R's of reading, writing, and arithmetic. In business, we also have three R's that if we pay attention to these three things, it can solve a lot of our problems when it comes to time and money. So the first R is retention. And that means retaining the customers you already have once you get them in the door. Right. right? It costs a lot to acquire a customer. And if all you're doing is constantly trying to hustle and get more customers, you're going to be spending a lot of time and a lot of money, and you're going to burn out by trying to constantly be the hamster on the wheel. If yes. on the flip side, you put your attention into retaining the customers you've already got so that you can work with them over and over and over again, you actually start to see disproportionate results in terms of more money with less time investment because it's it's multiplicatively easier to sell to someone once you've sold them something before and to give them that next set of value because you already know where they're at from working with you before. So that's the first R. The right. second R is referrals. So once you've retained a customer, it's not just that you can sell to that person over and over and over again, but if you've done really good work and you've given them the results they prom that you promised and that they're really excited about it, then they're going to also want to refer customers to your business. Again, saving you time because you don't have to go up prospecting and bringing new sources of revenue into your business. That leads to money and that leads to a virtuous circle then, right? You retain customers, 
so that you can sell to them again and refer. The referrals turn into new customers that you can retain and go with again. And then the yes. third R is repeat buyers, which I basically hinted at, right? Retention is keeping someone through the length of the engagement. I deal with a lot of people who are doing online courses. And in that context, it's you get someone to pay, but they drop out halfway through. They don't get the promised result. They don't get the promised result. They're not going to refer and they're not going to be a repeat buyer. So retention is, can you keep them you know, on board through the length of your, the engagement, through the length of the contract or, or through whatever value you're delivering? Can you actually retain them through the duration of that? Referrals is, can you get them to share it? And repeat buyers is, can you figure out once you've helped them once, what's the next challenge they're going to face? What's the next challenge on their journey or the next opportunity that you know is coming down the pipe for them so that you can come up with a way to serve that need? And then what's the one after that? So you can serve that need. So that becomes this, again, virtuous cycle where retention referrals and repeat buyers are what get you re results in both of both in terms of both time and money. That's fantastic. I love the three R's especially. Here at uh, Help My Website Sell, we have the three P's. And actually, let me tell you something about that because just like you say that no one cares what you want to sell them and why that's a good thing, here's what I love to do. I like to get on podcasts where I'm a guest because I not only host the Business Creators Radio Show, but I also appear on podcasts around the globe and around the time zone. I get up on stages. I teach on webinars. And I will get folks to a point in my presentation where I will tell them that the absolute last thing that they need in their business, in fact, if they have this in their business, their next move should be to just get rid of it because it's hurting you and it's killing you, is traffic to your website. Yeah. And then I pause. Yeah. And especially if I'm in a live room with people, I'll watch the jaws drop. I'll watch the uh, the eyes glaze over, like who is this maniac? And then and then I just wait for the I wait for the phones to start coming up. And at that point, I say, "You heard me. You do not want traffic to your website because let's dissect this. When we talk about traffic, we talk about the reason I work from a home office. Traffic is a bunch of people being shoved down a narrow corridor that was not designed to hold them, uh, being pushed to a destination that they either don't want or don't understand. And by the time they get there, they're already demoralized and defeated and frustrated. That's the condition of traffic. That's why I work from a home office. And website, what's a website? Is that a registration page? Is that a sales page? Is that an event page? A webinar page? An about page? A contact page? A product page? A privacy page? Home page? I could go on and on and on. What is uh, what is what is that? Because uh, all those things can be in a website and a website could be any one of those things. So what does this traffic to your website business? I, I don't get it. it it's, it's a false statement. What I aim for are visitors to web pages who are pre-qualified, which means we're communicating with the right people with the right messaging. They're prepped, which means they know what to expect, and they're pumped so that when they click on that link to come to your web page, you better hope that you have your load speeds optimized because they are going to be so eager to take the action you want them to take that they're not going to want to wait even half a second to be able to take that action. So pre-qualified, prepped, and pumped. Yeah. And if you have those things, you don't need traffic to your website. I love when people argue this and ask me if I'm from planet Mars. I say, no, I'm from planet Earth. I'm just changing the whole conversation. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's so interesting because 
what I heard you saying in that, you know, the pre-qualified, the prepped and pumped is ultimately what you're talking about is a process of education. Right. right? You're talking about, I need to help people relate what, what they think they need and what they think they want to what I know they actually need and what they actually want and connect those dots for them. That's the process ultimately of pre-qualification and prepping, which gets them pumped and wanting to buy. Yeah. And when you come down to it, we're really talking about the same thing. Exactly. Yeah. I'm, 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 just, no being, I'm, just, being, here. I'm just being a lot more clear. Uh, you, you know, you know, the set, you know, the, and the second I go on any form of social media, or I check my email and somebody's promising me push button traffic to my website. I say, well, I don't, not that I don't, not that I agree or disagree that's possible to just push a button and get it. I just don't want it. Yeah. And that leaves people stunned. Like, well, what? <laughs> so uh, what I'd like to do here is uh, go back to something that we discussed before. And you mentioned that your work blends adult learning, customer experience, and business strategy. And one of those things just to me doesn't seem quite like the others. So what do teaching and learning have to do with business? Well, it's exactly what, what you were just talking about and what I was just talking about. When it comes right down to it, marketing is education, right? Yes. You have to educate prospects. But it goes deeper than that. Onboarding a customer is education. You're teaching them the best way to work with you, the best way to get results, the best way to get the value that was promised, whether that's an instruction manual to a physical product or designing the product in such a way that is intuitive or having a literal uh, education, you know, a webinar or something like that. Each of those situations, the process of onboarding someone is a process of educating. Uh, retention is also related to education because you know, you want to be showing people where they're at and where they're going. Anytime you have a transformation from a before state to an after state, that's, that's actually my favorite definition of learning. My favorite definition of learning is when you have the opportunity to make a different choice now than you would have previously. That is education. And that is also the point of business, which is to give people the opportunity to have a different outcome than when you started. If you don't do that, you're not going to sell, which, you know, spoiler alert, is what's related to no one actually wants to buy what you have to sell. Right. Even, even actually when we think about the process of asking for referrals, this is something that I've learned in my own business is uh, I, can, I can ask for referrals. I can encourage word of mouth. I can you know, do all of those fantastic things. But if I don't educate people how to talk about my work, I'm going to end up with, to use your language, a lot of traffic, which I don't want, Instead of a lot of pre-qualified prospects that those people are, I can do something with those people, but it takes a process of education for me to be able to tell people and share with people and show them this is who I best work with for them to be able to send me those pre-qualified referrals. Agreed. Completely so. <laughs> so you've got to tell me, uh, we've given spoilers and I have been dying to get to the bottom of this. What do you mean when you say no one actually wants to buy what you have to sell? Well, so there's, it's actually not a new concept. It's, it's from way back when advertising first started. If you think about it, let's say you're doing home renovations 
and you are trying to figure out, I don't know, maybe you're trying to install a, sh a shelf or something, and you have the shelf from Ikea or something, and, and you've got all of the, the screws and everything, but you know you're going to have to attach it to the wall somehow, and you think to yourself, I need a drill, because I don't have a drill. And so you go to the hardware store to go get a drill. But the truth is, you're not actually buying the drill. You're buying what the drill can do for you, which is punch a hole in the wall, attach the screw, and get your shelf attached and affixed, hopefully relatively securely, to the wall. If I told you, you should go buy a drill, and you maybe you rent it and you have no possible purpose for using a drill, or maybe you're three years old and you know, your idea of a drill is for the little play center that you have. If, if I try and sell you a drill and you have no reason to use whatever that drill can do for you, why would you buy it, right? So the, the truth is no one actually wants to buy what you have to sell. Instead, what they want to buy is a transformation that gets them closer to whatever their stated ideal is. That's important because it relates directly to this idea of marketing is education or product development is education or business development is education. Because what we've learned from the academic research about how people learn is that there's a difference between a teaching-centered mindset and a learning-centered mindset when it comes to how effective we will be at the process of educating someone. And in fact, we've been talking about how you want to educate people, but that's actually not the right vocabulary. What we should instead be talking about is the process of facilitating learning. So right. subtle difference, right? Educating someone is from me out to them. It's focused on me and it's me-centered. But the process of facilitating their learning is about them initiating and us being there to help them. That changes everything when it comes to, let's just think about marketing. It changes everything when you think about marketing. Because if you're trying to educate prospects, you're trying to beat them over the head and say, you need to learn this. This is important to you because. Whereas if you're trying to facilitate their learning through your marketing, you're tapping into something that they already want. And you're showing them how you can help them get there. Which do you think is going to be the easier sell? I'm going to say the latter. I sure hope it's the latter. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, but don't be selling me no ladders unless I got to climb something. Um, exactly. And what you're really selling me is the, the ability to reach it. You could make me taller if that would work because in the end I just want to reach it. Yep, absolutely. And what's so interesting is just the change in how we think about what we're doing is enough to make a difference. So just changing the conversation and the language we use from educating to facilitating learning, that subconsciously triggers and tweaks our approach to how we communicate. And it has a net positive uh, impact on how that message is received. So this is, I like to geek out. I've been known to read academic journals for fun. Right. <laughs> but, 
but uh, one, of, one of my my goals actually is to take information that's been locked up in the ivory tower and be able to disseminate it in a way that's useful to business owners right so this idea of a teaching center mindset and a learning centered mindset is one of those concepts and there was a, there was a study that was done where they asked an instructor to prepare their course materials their their curriculum and they asked them you know just focus on what you want to teach them and and develop your materials and and just you know go from there and so the instructor went and they did that and then they they went to another group of instructors and they said you know just develop your your materials uh you know figure out uh, what what your learners want and and how you're going to help them get there and, and just go from there so all they did was change the initial frame for what they were asking the instructor to do from right. from teaching centered what i want you to learn versus learner centered which was what do they want to get out of the experience and then they did a study at the end and they looked at the results that the students got and what they found was that the students had far better results they learned much better more deeply they were able to achieve more of the stated outcomes when the instructor simply changed his frame of reference his or her frame of reference toward what does my learner want to achieve and how can i help them do that they didn't actually have to you know follow all kinds of educational principles or do instructional design or you know follow these particular best practice frameworks they didn't have to master any of that all they had to do was just change their mindset about what they were doing and that was enough to get better to help their learners get better results see that right see that i i love that uh i love that right there just the way we are basically shifting the frame ever so slightly we're looking at things from a different point of view and that to me is the key to so much when it comes to learning so how do we make uh uh, so we talked about this uh, transition from the teaching-centered mindset to the learning-centered mindset. So how do we make the transition from being so us-focused to being more customer-focused in our businesses? It's a really, really good question because it's so challenge. It seems like such a big challenge, right? Especially a lot of the people that I work with are in this expert space, right? Right. Um, whether, whether that's they're an author or a speaker, or even you know, if you're a freelancer, say you're a web developer, as, as I was so many years ago, you know, I was the expert in web development. And so I knew what, what my customer needed from me, but they didn't necessarily. And so I actually suffered from one of the biggest problems that we run into in making this transition, which is the curse of expertise. So uh, okay. the curse of expertise, this is another study. The curse of expertise comes from a study that was done in 1999 by a group of Stanford researchers. And this was, you have to remember, you know, 1999 doesn't sound that long ago, but when you really think about it, that's 16 years at this point. Yes. That's a long time. The iPhone wouldn't be invented for, I think, another five years, right? So we are, right. we are firmly ensconced in the days of uh, candy bar, phones, flip phones, you know, texting was, was all the hotness, right? That's about as advanced as cell phones got. For some people, maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah, if, if you even had one, right? And that was actually the point of this study was uh, cell phones were so new. It was the perfect 
opportunity for these Stanford researchers to tap into something that they had, had been observing and see if they could solve the problem. The problem they were observing is once you're an expert in something, you don't know what you know. Like you are so familiar with it that you actually forget what it took you to get to that point of expertise. And so the researchers wanted to figure out, can we break that curse? Right. Because can, you know, can we help someone who's not an expert become an expert in a more efficient or effective manner? So they said, okay, here's a group of people that are cell phone experts. We want them to predict how long it will take a novice cell phone user to learn how to retrieve a voicemail from the cell phone. Right. And the experts, you know, they made their predictions and then the novices, you know, went and tried to learn it. And the experts' predictions were abysmal, like not even close. And so then the experts said to the, or the, the researchers rather said to the experts, well, think back to when you were first learning a cell phone. Use that to help inform. How long do you think it'll take when you think back to how, how it was for you? And the experts, you know, gave, gave their estimates and, you know, maybe they were a little better, but they still weren't really close. And then the researchers said, well, what if you broke it down into steps, all the steps that it takes to retrieve a voicemail, you know, you have to first dial in your number and then hit pound or star and then one and then seven and then three and then nine or, you know, whatever it was. Yeah. Think through all those steps. How long do you think it'll take someone to master all those steps? And the experts still couldn't do it. And ultimately, what the researchers' conclusion was is that experts cannot put themselves in the shoes of someone who is not an expert. And they actually, incidentally, did, the, uh, did this in the reverse. They asked novices, how long do you think it's going to learn, take for you to learn how to figure out how to get voicemail from a phone? And they couldn't figure it out either. Their, their guesses were just as bad because they didn't know what they didn't know. And so the only people who actually could give an accurate prediction were the people who were kind of partway through. So they had learned a little bit. And how much longer do you think it's going to take you? Those people actually had a bit of a clue. So to go back to the question that you originally asked, which is how do we make the transition from being us focused to being customer focused? The first factor that we have to contend with is the fact that our customers don't actually know what they need. And we don't know how to get them there very effectively at all, because by virtue of the fact that we're experts, we've forgotten more than they've ever known, right? That's, that's kind right. of the definition of the problem we're facing. So the key actually is to stop focusing on what your customers think they need, because they don't know. And instead, focus on what your customers think they want. Subtle distinction again, right? We're, we're talking about nuances in language. Yes. But what do, you, do your customers think they want? Let's go back to the, the drill or the ladder example. The customer thinks they need a drill, but what they want is to be able to affix the shelf to the wall. You, as the expert, then can look at that and say, oh, you want to affix the shelf to the wall. Maybe you don't need a, a drill. Maybe you just need a screwdriver. 
So that allows you to break down the curse of expertise because when you listen to what they think they want and you pair it with what you know they actually need to get what they want, then you can create this learning journey from what they think they want to what they actually need so that they can get the result. And that's the process of marketing and messaging that precedes a sale. So you couple that then with this shift from a teaching-centered mindset to a learning-centered mindset. And what that looks like in totality is you are listening to your customers, observing what they are asking for, observing what they think they want. And then you're asking yourself, not how can I teach them how to get that or not how can I teach them or educate them why my product is the right solution. Instead, you ask yourself the question, how can I facilitate them achieving what they want? The psychology and the research shows that when you make that subtle change, just in your approach, the way you act, the way you communicate will naturally adapt and naturally change to make you be more effective. You know, there's something that I say when it comes to marketing and persuasion and this is something that i've believed for a long time and found to be very true and i don't think it's too far removed from what you're sharing with us today one of my key points is that it doesn't really matter what people say they want it matters what they respond to yep so you know you know what i'm talking about and and people look at me and say well no no all, all i gotta do is i just have to ask my prospects what they want and give it to them really because, yeah, um, yeah cause, uh, cause Brianna, uh, you know, I don't know your, you know, current relationship status or anything, uh, but let's say you were looking for a, um, let's say you're looking for, uh, you know, a mate in life, uh, mm -hmm. you'd probably have a set of characteristics or maybe a checklist of things you're looking for. Are you with me so far? Yep. Do all of your friends have those as well? Nope. But do they say they do? They say oh. that they, they have this Prince Charming yeah. or, or Princess yeah. Lee or whatever it is. Yeah. But then how many of them complain to you about that lying, cheating, asshole, loser of a jerk that they're done with? Yeah. yeah. But you're going to hear the same story again the next day. Yeah. It's the same thing, actually. This is something you see a lot in the weight loss industry or the fitness industry. Um, because what people say they want is to lose those last 10 pounds or to have a beach worthy body or to get ripped or, you know, whatever the language is and there's gender differences and that sort of thing that come into play. That's what they say they want. Um, but you as the expert know that what they need is to, you know, stop eating ice cream five times a day for breakfast and, right. you know, start getting up and moving a little bit. Like the, the foundations of fitness and nutrition there's definitely complexity there, but for most people, they're not even doing the basics. So you have this disconnect between what your customers think they want and what you know they need. And if you try and talk to your, your prospects through this lens of, well, you just need to eat better, or you just need to like get off your butt and start going for a walk, or you just need to blah, 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 your customer's gonna tune you out because they don't wanna learn how to eat better. They wanna learn how to lose those last 10 pounds. And so right. it's, in, it's in observing and listening to what they think they want, 
going and then saying, okay, that's what they think they want. How can I show them that what they think they want is actually related to this other thing, which is what they need? And it's, it's like unlocking one of my, my mentors and clients, and I've been a client of hers. And anyways, uh, <laughs> Tara Gentili says, it's like there's a locked door between where your prospect or your customer is when they come to you and where they want to be when they leave. And if they could unlock that door on their own, they wouldn't need you. But they haven't been able to figure out how to unlock that door. And so your job is to show them that you have the mechanism by which to unlock that door, which not only helps them get what they think they want, but it also gets them what they need. And ultimately, it gets them the results that are going to make them feel satisfied and like they got value from the experience. Yeah, and, and see, that that's, that's another thing, too, and that's a distinction I learned uh, a long time ago. I saw it in a, uh, a video. I think it was Paul Lemberg, one of his videos, and he used a phrase, he was describing uh, different levels of, uh, of customer experience or something along those lines. I can't remember the exact title of it, but he used the phrase, make the customer feel like they got a great deal. Yes. And that really jumped out at me because you're used to hearing something like, give the customer a great deal. Yeah. But then I heard the phrase, make the customer feel like they got a great deal. And that is, that has nothing to do with, you know, dishonesty or, um, or convincing somebody that something's true that it, that it really isn't. What it really speaks to is, what is a good deal? Yeah. I mean, just yeah. because you think it's a great deal doesn't mean your customer thinks it's a great deal. And you may think that something is just, well, absolutely awful, but, uh, then you show it to your customer, you show it to your prospect, and they say, wow. You know, yeah. learn, learn to take yes for an answer every once in a while. Yeah, it's so interesting. So one of the things that, that I work with people on is taking what they've been doing in maybe a one-to-one -one practice area and moving that into a, a leveraged offer, whether that's group coaching or an online course or in-person workshops, whatever frame that is. And one of the things that that we work quite a bit on is kind of this mindset piece around what value actually is. Because uh, let's take online courses, for example, because there's some research that suggests that if you take or if you create an online course, uh, roughly 20% of people or so will come to that course and they'll just, you know, they won't bother. You'll, you'll be lucky if they log in. You'll be lucky if they, they do anything with it. They, they're they're kind of curious or they thought it was a good idea, but, you know, it, it wasn't high enough priority. And those are the people that we call the lurkers. They just, they're kind of there in the background. Right. At the other extreme, we have the people who will do absolutely everything you ask. You know, they, they do the <laughs> homework to the nth degree. They listen to the lessons five times. They take notes like they are your all-star students. They're the ones you wish you could clone. They're, they're the perfect participants in the, the lingo that I use. But that leaves a vast majority, roughly 70% when you do the averaging, of people who are coming to the experience, and we call them the passive participants. And a passive participant is someone who has a particular maybe set of, of outcomes that they want to achieve. And if they can see how, how what you are creating and, or how what you're asking them to do directly relates to what that outcome is, then they'll probably do it. But if they can't see that connection or if it just doesn't feel particularly relevant or it's just not, maybe it's just not a good day, 
Um, yeah. You know, they're not going to do everything. You know, maybe they'll do half the stuff and, and maybe they won't. But what what's so in critically important to recognize about that is just because someone only does a fraction of the work, just because someone is a passive participant doesn't mean they didn't receive value because value actually isn't about what you give. Value is about what is received. So just like um, a comedian doesn't get to determine if their joke is funny, it's up to the audience to hear it and decide that it's funny, which is why depending on the audience, an off-color joke might be one, you know, might be hilarious in one crowd and it might you know result in tomatoes being thrown at the stage in another crowd humor depends on the listener and value is determined by the recipient so when it comes to creating value yes you're creating value and you want to be giving as much value as you can but the determination of whether or not value was received ultimately is up to the customer's experience of that value and part of that is you helping them to understand the value received and part of that is you know their readiness to receive as well this is one this is one of the interviews i really love here at business creators radio show we're about two-thirds of the way through here we've covered almost everything you have to share with us and at the same time you've given such incredible value it's like being knocked over by a fire hose. So I hope you're <laughs> standing up against a brick wall while listening to this. This is also good. And we've also had the opportunity to introduce some additional concepts from both your side and my side because we move quickly. We cover a ton of information and it just, you know, one idea sparks another and so on and so forth. So, uh, Brianne, here's a question that uh, I'm not sure if anybody has asked this of you before quite this way. Um, uh, if there is a miscommunication between two people, generally speaking, all things being equal, whose responsibility was it to make sure it was clear? It's so funny because <laughs> I'm one of those people that um, I, I've been accused of being really smart. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and so I don't know how I got this lesson in my head that um, from, from, I think, you know, from early age, I, I kind of learned that stuff happens in my head so fast that it's my responsibility to translate it into something that other people can understand. Uh, and that's kind of been my baseline assumption, but I've been challenging that assumption lately because it's not so clear cut and because that puts a lot of pressure on me, which isn't necessarily fair. And I was just, I was just reading a book called The Big Leap by Hendricks. Uh, I'm pretty sure his last name is Hendricks. And he he put it in a context that really gave me a different way of looking at it. And so he was talking about relationships and he was talking about when you have a relationship that is not working particularly well, you know, you're fighting with your spouse or you're miscommunicating with your child or, uh, you know, your friends, colleagues, whatever, you've got a relationship. There's two people there. And what, what his point, what the author's suggestion was is that normally what we try to do is we say there's 100% of the responsibility to be divvied up between these two parties. And so each party, you know, maybe one person is 60% responsible and the other is 40% responsible. And that's, and that's basically the, the question that you posed to me is how does the balance of responsibility fall out when it comes to miscommunication? Right. But what, 
But what he said in the book that really made me stop to think was he said, actually, this isn't a zero sum game or it's not a hundred sum game. The actual truth is that each party is 100% responsible for the relationship. Each party is 100% responsible. Yes, that adds up to 200%. Right. But when each party takes 100% responsibility, that turns it from being a blame game into how can I help move this forward? So it's not an either or question. It's not, is it the recipient's job or is it the, the, the speaker's job? It's the, it's not either or, it's both and. Both parties have to accept responsibility for hearing the message as it was intended and communicating the message in a way that it can be understood. And I just, I thought that was so insightful because it, as, as I said, it takes it away from being a blame game, whether you're blaming yourself or you're blaming the other person, blame doesn't help you. And it turns it into an opportunity to say, what can I contribute to this situation so that I can help to bridge this gap? And if both parties are coming to the situation with that as their mindset and their framework, then you have an opportunity to make that miscommunication be resolved in a way that's win-win. That is one of the best answers I've heard, ever heard to this question. This is another one that I bring up sometimes, sort of like the time and money question, but I don't bring it to every single guest. But if mm -hmm. I see the conversation going this way, I love to ask that question. If there's a miscommunication between two or more people, whose responsibility is it? And there is, are so many different ways of looking at responsibility uh, and things along those lines. I know the absolute incorrect way to do it is to say, well, I explained myself clearly. You need to listen. Really? <laughs> I, yeah, and, and you were saying earlier uh, you know, about, you know, people want to lose weight. You just need to do this. You need to do that. And somebody tells me I need to do something. I say, really? How? Explain that. Yeah. Or yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, how, I mean, how do you define this need? I don't, I'm not feeling a need here. I'm not, yeah. you know, so how, how do I need to? Yeah. Yeah, need is one of those words that uh, tends to, to turn people's ears off instead yes. of turning. Right. Yeah. That that is that is absolutely the case. Uh, and that's another that's another thing about being careful with your language and using language that's going to be valuable and empowering for everybody involved in the conversation. Because if I'm looking for an out or I'm looking to refute something, I'm going to look for something like that. Tell me, I need to do something? Really? I you sure about that? Because yeah. I'm, I'm doing just fine without it. So <laughs> it also becomes a really useful criteria when you think about, you know, working with with customers or clients. And you know, we hear a lot of advice. It's very common advice, which is be selective in the people you work with. Don't try and sell to everyone. Right. Um, you know, work with people who are going to truly value your work and, you know, pick your best customers and, and sell to them. And what's so interesting when, when you think about this potential for miscommunication or this, this relationship as being a factor of both people being willing to contribute 100%, that becomes a very interesting filter to apply, especially you know, if you are a service provider where you work on people one-on-one, -on -one, is you want to be looking at people who are willing to take 100% of the responsibility with the understanding that you also 
will take 100% of the responsibility. And when I right. think of the clients who I have had the best working relationship with, I think when we talk about, uh, for me, one of my personal values is that of collaboration. And so I've set guiding principles in my business such that, you know, I want to be bringing collaboration to the table. And this idea of, uh, you know, collaboration requires that both parties be willing to invest to co-create a solution that's going to be ultimately successful for both people. Um, and so it becomes an interesting uh, way of approaching the qualification process, which is to say, are you willing to give 100%? I am, and I will give 100% to making sure this relationship works. Are you also willing to do that? If so, then we've got a good chance of success. I like that. I, I, li- I like that. I like that a lot. I think I, I think that's that's great. Uh, so. I, there is something else I do want to ask here. Um, you know, going back to some of what you said, is you were talking in your work about the idea of the perfect participants. Um, what is that? How do you find them? And what do you do with the information once you have it? Yeah. So the perfect participant, again, bearing in mind that the language I'm using here is because I work with people who are creating courses or workshops right. or learning experiences, right? So they're looking for a perfect participant to participate. Right. In that learning experience. Right. Uh, But the idea of the perfect participant is actually related to finding those customers who are willing to give that 100% on their part and to receive 100% from you so that you can create your highest, best, highest and best value for them. So the perfect participant. The way I explain it to my clients is it's a simple thought exercise, which is think back to all the customers that you've had. And and maybe you do products and so you don't necessarily know them all personally, Um, but you probably have met a few of your customers somewhere along the line. Or maybe you wholesale. And so it's particular stores that are are your your customers in this sense. With you so far. Yeah. So what you want to do is you want to think about that of all the people you've worked with and you want to ask yourself who do I wish I could clone and for some people right off they'll come up with like three names I want more of Joe and Mary and Sue right I want if I could clone them I'd be happy and for some people it's not that easy so then it's you know who has brought the the most uh, who's been the best best fit for my business who do I love working with like I never get an email from them and wish that I had not checked my inbox who do I love working with? Who right. brings the greatest value to my business? So that could be who gives me the most money, but it could be who gives me the most referrals or who talks me up, uh, who invites me to conferences to speak at. Who brings right. the greatest value? Who's asking the questions that I want to answer? You know, who, yeah. right? Who, who's talking about the stuff that I want to talk about? Uh, who sees me as a leader? And so what you want to do is think back on your past customers and identify the three to five that are at the top of those criteria. Those are the foundation for your perfect participant because the perfect participant is the person that you want to clone to create more of in your business because they get the best results from working with you and you get the best value from working with them. Correct. Once you have identified 
those three to five people, then, and this goes back to what we were talking about before, then you turn on your listening engine. Then you start, you know, maybe, maybe they're on social media and you can just observe what are the things they're talking about on, on their Facebook feed? What are the things they're, they're tweeting about? What are they pinning on Pinterest? And you can start to observe and really be paying attention to what they think they want, what they think they want. And then you pair that again with this understanding of what you know they need in order to be able to get what they want. And sometimes actually you'll recognize that they can't actually get what they think they want. Right. Then you have a problem, right? Then, then yes, you've got a whole bunch of re-education. Yes. That's not, that's never going to be an easy sell, but that also shows that you, at least then you know the problem. So you can look for ways to either address it or work around it. Correct. That's the point of the perfect participant is to be able to articulate, not with like personas, not with made up people, not with, you know, some imaginary figure that only exists on a sheet of paper with a photo that you picked off of a stock photo site. It's to look at the three to five people that you wish you could clone so that you can pay attention to them as real people and find what unlocks the door between where they are and where they think to go, where they, where they think they want to go using what you, you exclusively have to get them there. That's the perfect participant. Yes, I, I agree. I agree with that entirely. I, I think that's, and again, you're coming back to this difference between what they think they want and what you know they need, which is a different languaging and a slight repositioning of the idea of the difference between what people say they want and what they respond to. Yep. Yeah. So what I would like our listeners to hear, and this is kind of an over overlapping theme just as we go throughout this entire time together here today, is that a lot of what you're looking for in terms of achieving this whole thing of you know, why no one cares what you want to sell them, why that's a good thing. It's all about how you look at things through a different set of eyes and speak with a different set of words. And yeah. that will create breakthroughs for you, both with you and with your prospects and customers that will be revolutionary for your business. Here, here's, an, here's another one, and because I teach this all the time. Uh, you know, just change the language and change the positioning a little bit. Uh, you can go through my rate, my blogs. You can go through everything, all the articles I've written that are online. You can go through previous speeches and things like that. And aside from maybe a few outliers where I let it slip every once in a while, you're not going to hear me say anything about no like and trust. Yep. Why do you think that is? Well, I know why I don't like those words. I uh, actually, my, my two words that you'll never see me use are uh, no one understand. But I'm curious to hear why why you wouldn't use no like and trust, and then I'll tell you why I won't use no and understand. Okay, uh, everybody says no like and trust. Like, oh, here we go. Somebody else telling me that I have to not get my prospects to know me, like me, and trust me. Uh, I I wouldn't stand out. It, it would yep. not be a center or a nucleus of conversation. So what I tell people is they need to be persistently consistent with their website conversion conversation that causes people to get to know you 
helps them find their reasons to decide that they like you enough to consider trusting you and giving you a bunch of money. Yep, absolutely. So So I'm focused on the step in that process, which is about how we reach out, how we use our words, how we use our verbals and our nonverbals, frequency, mediums, outlets, and how we engage with the people that we are doing business with and want to do business with. Yeah. Yeah, it's very similar. The reason that I don't like know and understand is because those words actually are meaningless. How do you know what someone knows? Right. How do you know what they understand? You don't. You can't, you can't tell me that I definitively 100% am certain that you know something. What I can say is that I can observe you doing behaviors that indicate or suggest to me that you know and understand something. So I don't actually want to help my customers know or understand anything. I want to help them be able to do things or to be able to see results or act differently or have different you know, ways of coming into the world or different ways of interacting with the world around them. That's more important than some vague no one understands that no one can measure or prove anyway. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that with us because uh, I think people really need to, to hear that. I mean, how do you know what your prospects need is another thing. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, that's I mean, that's something else. I mean, because you say we're shifting the focus from what people think they want to what you know they need. You still don't know for an absolute yep. certainty. Exactly. So um, but, but at the same time, you're mo- you're not saying you know what they need. You're saying you're just simply shifting the conversation from what they think they want to what you know they need, so to speak. But uh, yep. it's not exactly the same thing. Like, you don't know what I'm doing right now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No like and trust, no and understand. It's all this language that we become so familiar with that we've never actually stopped to say, what does that actually look like in practice? How do we know when it's happened? You can repel people that way too, as I see it, because yep. uh, when people like to think that they know me, I will I will take the even the most petty punitive measures to make sure that they don't know. Like, like, <laughs> like if somebody looks at me and says, you look tired. I will say, no, I'm full of energy while I yawn. Because, because, <laughs> because you're trying to get inside my head, I'll just make sure you're wrong. There you go. Yeah. Uh, it is, you know, it's my experience that people don't like to be told what they like. Yeah. Yeah. That's why it starts with listening. Right. Precisely. And, you know, we, we can go on about, uh, you know, the difference between what people say they want and what they respond to and all that and all these other things that we've covered. And, uh, it, you know, it's just um, you're going to end up in the same place. So we are actually at the top of the hour while time flies. So let me give you <laughs> just uh, 45 seconds. we got people on the edge of their seat, Brianne. Uh, where do they go from here with you? Absolutely. So if you are one of the people that I described earlier, who's maybe tired of working one-on-one or overbooked or what have you, and you're looking to build more leverage into your business through group programs, workshops, that sort of thing, the best thing you can do is head on over to mynameisbrianne.com. And if you go to mynameisbrianne.com slash PPG, you'll actually be able to download a four-step guide that I've got set up, which is specifically step-by-step a way for you to start unlocking your perfect participants and figuring out that overlap between what they think they want and what you know they need. So my name's Brianne.com slash PPG to get the perfect participant guide. 
Absolutely. And Brianne Dick, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and it's been quite an education. Thank you so much for having me. All right, everybody. This is Adam Homey, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com and on iTunes, where we help you win at the game 